Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, innovators, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship with my guests. Today's guest is innovation professional who believes in purpose-driven organizations. She worked in the world-leading NGOs in Tanzania and Paraguay, and today she's the CEO of the Spain startup, the Startup Summit. Together, we talk about the importance of purpose-driven organizations, female leadership as a core skill, and of course, innovation in startups and corporates. Please welcome to the show, Marta del Castillo. Hello, Marta. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, Jens. It's, I'm re really, really happy to be here with you talking about the future and us. <laughs> yeah, looking forward. So before we go into, of course, innovation, corporate innovation, the culture of innovation and purpose-driven companies, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? It's kind of funny, okay? I'll try not to be too long to talk about my my last 40 years of life. Uh, well, I'm going to start with like after the 20s or something like that. So I don't, I don't <laughs> know the audience. <laughs> um, I'm, I'll, I turn to say that I'm like a dropout, dropout lawyer. Uh, I studied law. Um, I was a lawyer, but I don't know why I turned to be a lawyer because I, I thought I was always attracted to making some kind of impact in the world. And I was very attracted like to the social and humanitarian world. Since I was 16, I was a volunteer and I went to developing countries to work in, in humanitarian uh, projects. But then when I have to choose what to do in my life, I was about to turn an architect or a, or a medician, a doctor. But then I thought, no, no, I have to do something more social. I have to maybe fight for human rights. I was watching, you know, the Los Angeles law and those kind of programs where being a lawyer was so sexy and you were doing so many nice things. So I decided to turn a lawyer. And when I finished my career, I worked in a lawyer's firm and it had nothing to do with what I have imagined. It wasn't. <laughs> creative at all and you know all my clients were this kind of posh nice people but their interests weren't like human rights or they, they were not engaged in that kind of causes so I was kind of frustrated so I have to decide what to do with my life and I thought a lot of things I like I really like the creative world but I was very passionate about the social and and help, helping others so then I decided that I have to go and work for, for international development. Wasn't sure how to do that. But at that time in Spain, I, I was in Madrid and there were, there were some kind of you know, studies that they were starting at that time that it was kind of uh, international development or international relationships. But then me that I've been like traveling all over the world and read a lot and I was kind of into what was going on, I thought that maybe it wasn't like the best studies for me, that there were some things that already I was reading about. So I, what I thought at that time that it was kind of, of different or disrupted at the time was that if I was wanted to work for development and if I wanted to manage a big, huge humanitarian programs, I have to know about management uh, because at the end 
being a managing an NGO or managing a, a big operation that has a huge budget, a lot of people in, in very difficult contexts, in some kind of developing countries where you don't have the best resources, you know to know management and crisis solvement. So I decided to go for an MBA. So I did an international MBA, and once uh, I ended up, I went like all my all my colleagues were like, "Are you crazy? You're gonna be like earning much less than what you were earning before, and I really like you're gonna be a manager." And when I started working with the NGOs, were like, "What kind of capitalist are you? Like, what, you, you come from the MBA world?" <laughs> It was kind of fun, but at the end, I realized that it was a very wise decision because I was managing huge operations and and the knowledge I learned of, of business management was, was so useful in what I was doing. So, so once I finished my MBA, uh, I, I got married and I, I was just married and I had this great opportunity to go to Tanzania to work for the Red Cross in a humanitarian operation that it was like three refugee camps in the border of Tanzania and Congo and Burundi. So you can imagine my grandmother was like, are you crazy? You're going to leave your husband behind? Are you going to go to live in Tanzania? And what kind of, like, your husband is just, you're going to get, like, he's going to get divorced. <laughs> but he turned to work out. And my husband, I know, I think that he knew, like, the, the type of crazy people he, he was marrying with. So we spent, like, the first almost two years of our marriage in a refugee camp in Tanzania. And it was amazing you know most of the refugees like i know his focus was to turn the refugees into uh, supporters of the atletico de madrid so he kind of succeeded <laughs> <laughs> and i really had a lot of fun and it was a, it was a very challenging uh, opportunity to to develop what was my my social and my real purpose but it was great and I really learned a lot and and I really had like a lot of funny and difficult situations but I professionally and per personally it it meant a lot for me and after that experience and regarding that my husband wanted to continue his professional life uh, we went to to in, we engage in the in development projects and we went to live to in Paraguay so I moved to Latin America and spent like almost seven years working for development projects both with the NGOs with the Red Cross and with the international with the Spanish development agency from the government from and that was a great opportunity to work from the public sector and from an international organization, from these uh, multilateral organizations and how to uh, work in development and also work like hand by hand with, with developing countries' governments, which is kind of a different way of doing things and different cultures. So that also opened me a lot, uh, my, opened my mind. And, but still, when I was in, in those positions, there were still some things that were not working for me because I came like from the experience of working from private businesses and I was completely engaged in the purpose and, and the impact that I, I think I was uh, helping to, to engage and to, to, uh, to succeed, to, to get it. But the, the way of doing things from NGOs and from the government had a different way of culture. Like it, you know, that, you have to execute the money of donors, so the donor has a lot of power. The way of the procedures you have to to do, they have to do a lot with with I don't know like uh, procedures that are regarded in a law, so that kind of strict and a, a little bit like squared minded, and also like uh, you're like subjected to the um, programs of other people of donors and not like the actual need or even if, when you design a project it's like a three or four years project it can be that in those changing contexts everything has changed but still you're kind of uh, tied to what you said that you were going to do three years ago so innovation was really tough and even the, the, how you manage uh, the the funds and how you manage the economics is it, it didn't make so much sense to me because 
once you get a, a donation, uh, you have like to execute the whole amount. It's not that if you kind of are efficient and you have extra money, you can keep it or maybe do something else that you have in program. So there was few things that it didn't like make me the whole sense of things. So that's when I, I decided to go a little um, further and start exploring the opportunity of doing that kind of impact from the private sector. Where do you think that mostly in, in small companies, you have like more autonomy and you're like more free to decide on time and even to assume more risks. So at that time, I had the opportunity to be part of a very, very amazing company that it's called Cora, that it was a, a co it's a company in Paraguay, which, which is, uh, it was the first B Corp of Paraguay and it was like the founder of uh, B Lab in, in Paraguay and part of the, of the group of Latin America. But it was like a company that had that purpose of making huge impact uh, socially and environmentally through companies. And it's a company builder and an accelerator of other businesses and other entrepreneurs that they want to do this triple positive impact. So I started working in COA. I'm an actual part of COA. I'm part of the board. And it was the opportunity like from to use innovation to make this impact to use the power of technology and innovation and collaboration and, and networks to promote impact from the proper business world, from small businesses that by doing money are at the same time doing good. And that as, as important as it's the economics and, and the, the benefits that they're doing uh, financially, it's the impact that they're doing socially and environmentally. So I start like engaging in innovation and startups and investment from Koga. And then I, I realized that I found my tribe. The impact business, the B Corps, the social innovation or innovation for good. That was like the, the, the world, the culture and the way of doing things that made sense of me. Uh, for me so that's where where I completely engage and then after like uh, almost seven years in Koga I had the opportunity to uh, come back to my home city which is Madrid and to start working with a Spain startup and South Summit in a very similar way uh, of doing things like as being like a platform of connecting the investors, the startups, and the corporations so they get the opportunity to grow and to build sound and strong businesses and also new ways of doing things and new products and services for innovation. But always with that focus that while you're doing money, you have to be conscious of what you're doing and what is the world that you're building and how all these businesses have to be looking at the other impacts they're doing and be like proactively looking for a positive impact in society and the environment. So that's a little bit of my story. <laughs> awesome. So if I counted right, you, you lived at least in four countries. Yes. That's crazy. Nice. And three continents. Yeah, true. That's on top of that. Um, Maybe before we go into innovation and, and as well the, the, the purpose part, how, how did you perceive, I mean, you have scratched it already a little bit, the, the cultures of the different countries where you have been in and then connected that to business. Was there a huge difference from a continent to continent, country to country? Or well, was it it's, similar? It's amazing. Like the, for me, the difference, it's amazing. And it's kind of a a good learning that we learn to do things and to be efficient, but in your own culture or in a, the culture that you learn to work in. And I know that you've been living all over the world, Jens, and I, I think that you have experienced a little bit of that, that usually yeah. you have like that way mindset. And I have, I have the Spanish mindset that, I have to say now that has changed a lot, but at the beginning when I went to live to Tanzania, I was something in between Africa and Europe, that's Spain or, or the Mediterranean <laughs> area. 
<laughs> kind of funny because the Tanzanians were like, we love working with Spaniards. Like, you're so African. <laughs> because at the same time, they were working with the Japanese Red Cross and the German Red Cross. So they were like, you are closer to us culturally and, and, and our ways <laughs> <laughs> that the Japanese or the Germans, that's completely true. But the truth is that when, when you go to another country and you start working in other uh, countries with, with the t local teams and even with the governments, uh, you tend like to impose those ways of working that work for you, but in a different culture. And at the beginning, like for us, even in Latin America too, like I sounded aggressive or too direct. And I thought that was being efficient. It's like, okay, we have to solve this in this meeting. We have 20 minutes, so let's talk. 20 minutes or 90 minutes about this issue and one minute like socially. And for them, we were like, no, no, you speak. 90 minutes socially, I want to know if you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like better of Paraguay? And then we, in one minute, we can end up like solving whatever we have to solve. So those are things that I think that you have to be real humble and be really open-minded and first learn and learn those beautiful things that have to do with the culture, that uh, you have to use them as a, as a weapon for good and learn, like, I don't know, in, in these countries, like, you, they want to sit with you and, and build a personal relationship. And that's mm -hmm. on top of your business relationship and that's on top of, of the focus of that meeting. So at the beginning it was like, okay, we waste a lot of time. And then I realized that we invest a lot of time because yeah. that's the relationship you're building. It's something that will last really long time and that would open more doors that being efficient in this first meeting. So you start learning many of the things that you haven't learned before and that it opens a lot of ways and, and opens also your mind to being kind of, and, and enables you to, to work in different cultures. Even if you don't learn the culture, at least you learn that way of being humble, open and understand that you're a visitor and that you have to learn more than try to teach. Yeah. What are the things you took back with you from 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 a perspective of you're using this in your daily life in your daily work now working with the Spain startup we in Spain startup we connect with a lot of people all over the world as you you might see like our investors and startups 75% are are international they are not from from Spain so i have to learn I, I use a lot of these skills to kind of be empathetic with with the people and try to learn a little bit about the way of doing things and even the rhythms and even when you put together people from many different nationalities religions beliefs uh, cultures in the same room you have kind of be like the director of an orchestra that you have like to Give the space to each other, make the music flow, connect, and and that like being alert and being open and patient. I think that those are skills that I learned in my fast track <laughs> in abroad, and that I really do do use a lot. And even I use them without acknowledging that I'm losing that I'm using them, and even not yeah. knowing something uh, subconscious. Nice. So purpose-driven organization. Let's start high level. What What is a purpose-driven organization for you? For me, it, it doesn't have to be a business. It could be any type of organization, but it's an organization that has like a purpose or an objective, a goal, which is a long-term goal that has to bring a very significant change for the world. That is proposing something that it's above the short term that is above making money that it's above a slogan it's like a transition a change that they want to manage in the world or in an industry or in in a country and that goes above any other things and it's something that that it must last in and be for the future and really transform the lives of people 
for I don't know for Tesla can be like transitioning the energy the the, the transport to something that it's sustainable, or for mm-hmm. Google it's like enabling the the information for the whole world, not making accessible information to everybody, even in in China uh, when it's restricted or people that have no access to to internet or providing enabling that internet. So for me, is that change that I want to propose the world and that you would like to leave as a legacy to to future generations. And if I understand you right, it's it doesn't um, exclude making money with it, right? Not at all. No, not at all, because I, I, that's what I realized that I even kind of reconciled myself with, because before I was like, no, I work just for purpose, and money, uh, I, it doesn't matter. No, it's like, it doesn't matter in my salary, it doesn't matter if I kind of uh, create that benefit. But then I learned that that's not the world. At the end, we need money to live, we need money to grow, and even when you turn older, you start having more responsibilities as kids. And at the end, money it starts being some kind of a of a constraint if you don't have it. Hmm. But still, and companies and and doing wealth to the world is something positive. The thing is that if you're you have your incentive and your purpose of doing money, and if you're building that purpose from a business perspective, it's great because it's more sustainable because you are yourself enabling yourself with the resources to do what you want and you don't depend of anybody else uh, of a government or of a donor but at the same time there's a very nice incentive because you're making people rich and you're getting like richer yourself or at least like more wealthy or or you can sleep better because you don't have to you can pay your mortgage but and, but at, at the end the more you grow the more money you make the more positive impact you make the thing the problem is when money is a trade-off if you build a real b corp or a purpose-driven organization a business uh, then money is a positive incentive you make more money, you have more reach, you make more impact. So if you don't trade impact for money, it's perfect. It's the best incentive ever. Yeah. If if we look further into culture and culture now from a company perspective, what are the things you believe in when it comes to specifically, of course, connected to innovation, like innovation culture and the culture of an organization to be more innovative or less innovative? Well, I've, I've seen and spotted out many, many different things that I think that, that promote innovation. Well, one of which is one of very, very, very obvious. It's like the culture of risk and the culture of failure. Some, we, we come from even Latin cultures. And even I saw that in, in Latin America, that doesn't happen in the U.S. It's like we have like this way of saying things where failure is something that you have to hide. That is something that you cannot talk about. There's something that you don't have to learn about because you, ha- you have to hide it. You cannot share it. So... If you're in societies, as, as could be like in the United States, where failure is something that is there, that they are risk, they're open to risk, that means you're more innovative because you don't have that fear of, of making mistakes. So I think that's basic in organizations to promote failure, to promote risk, and even like to learn about failure and to once in a week, I don't know, like have a short recap of the failures of the week or the the biggest failure of the year, like some kind of celebrating failure. I think that it, it's it's a great way of, of making people like don't be scared of, of making mistakes or, or talking or proposing new things and assuming risk. Uh, that I try to do a lot with, with my team and even with my kids. It's like, okay, let's celebrate failure and let's think what we learned and, and go ahead and try to do your biggest failure because that means that you're being like assuming a biggest risk and you have more opportunities to have a, a biggest success. So that I think it's basic. And also I think a lot about the, the collaboration. I, I really realized that now we live in a world of collaboration and that we see that collaboration is a competitive advantage and not competition. So mm-hmm. that I, I've seen in innovation that we, we see that uh, the way of doing things and even like the biggest um, 
complexities and the biggest challenges that we do have as a humanity, they have to be soft collaborative. We've seen it with the vaccine of the COVID, we've seen with climate change, that if we want, we have to do like solutions that come from different sectors, different technologies, different knowledges. So we have to collaborate. Nobody is expert in all the fields. So the collaboration is the key. And even between competitors, like even collaboration, you can uh, make bigger the market and make uh, bigger the demand. So it's, it benefits all of us. So uh, enabling collaboration within the team, even uh, enabling process where the communication flows, where the success of a team is a success of the other, other even like tying the, the goals and the, the KPIs of, of the teams with the others. I think that that, that collaboration, it's, it's one of the, the key issues that you need for, for innovation. Other thing, other thing that I think it's really important is diversity. If you tend to mix different people, that makes sure it's like, it's like, boom, something amazing comes out of it. And I'm talking about diversity is not just gender or race. It's everything. It's like the person who is from philo philosophy, uh, from the IT to, I don't know, a gamer and whatever, like the, the, biggest ideas that come from that diversity and promoting that diversity. And I think that that's something that you need. And on the other hand, another thing that I believe that it's very, that you need in, in the team is making the people independent and autonomous and being them, making them able to, to make decisions and empowering people so they can make their own decisions, even make their own mistakes <laughs> and share them and, and make people like learn from what, what they're doing and and feel also that they feel that they are part of the company. Not only because even in the startups, you get to see that the, the, the team gets some shares of the company and they, they feel like owners, but it's not just the shares. It's I think that the thing that makes you uh, feel owner is like you are able to decide and to mm, decide what to do with the company and be part of the, the the most key decisions so that i think that also helps a lot in in promoting innovation and and purpose driven organizations and yeah. also that has to do a lot with people that they're I, the purpose for me it's like the core of all of this it's uh, your the purpose of the organization has to be completely aligned aligned with the personal purpose of, of the people that are working because then it doesn't tend to be like a it's not a job it's your life yeah yeah and the the engagement and the way of working and even the energy and even the the, the happiness and and the joy of working is completely different I can't agree more how do you see the difference between so if we talk about the failure, collaboration, diversity, and like the empowerment part, this, if, if you work like I did in, in large corporations, like a lot of organizations know this, that if you do this, then it's going to be better. But it's still like it's often a hurdle if you are in such a huge, I always say super tanker, where it's like you have one one goal, which is, increase the revenue by x percent every every year or every quarter or whatever and then on the other hand is like yeah but we need to reinvent ourselves we need to innovate uh, do you have any experiences or thought around that what i see that sometimes this way of creating incentives and goal it's perverse it it's mm. not based in the purpose it's based <laughs> in the short term like yeah. reviews Like you say, okay, my purpose, it's, it's not true. It's like you don't have a purpose. You have a slogan or you have a, like a mission, beautiful mission that you put in your web, but it's not embedded in the people. It's not in the leadership. So I think that the people, when there's a real uh, engagement with the purpose and, and the leadership just tend to do is like, we have to, we have to manage to get here. How you do it? 
I don't care. And if you have like this very close KPIs that you have to reduce your cost in 20%. You have to um, you know, um, have the result in this quarter. It doesn't make sense because a, a purpose is like a moonshot. It's something that you have to achieve that it will take some time and that means that you're going to fail in a way that is going to even you have to invest one year to start seeing results and you have, we, I think we have to change that way of organizing companies and even big companies they have a lot to learn about uh, startups and the way they yeah. do things and they not everything is measurable. And, and not everything is predictable. How? Because even those KPIs or their objectives, you do them on December, the year before, and in a year, nothing changed. It's like, doesn't make sense that you're working for something that you planned a year ago or sometimes four years ago. Yeah. Using that as, as, as the bridge to uh, what you do as well with Spain startups. So when you connect startups with corporations, how do you, so one thing is, yes, the start, let's say the corporation has a problem or a need and then the startup can fulfill this. That's one selection criteria, I guess at least. But how do you make sure or how do you kind of help them to work together? Because in my experience, when I, I did this in the past, it's not that easy because it's completely different cultures, completely different ways of thinking. And it's kind of, how do you marry them? It's a huge challenge. It's, you know, this movie like Godzilla against King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> two, different, uh, two different planets colliding. So, But you see that something that I've seen like for the last years, the ecosystem have acknowledged and now they are try, like, they're trying to put some kind, to tend some kind of bridges where they... Um, bring together the stuff. I really, it's usually easier when the startup, it's like a supplier of the big corporation because mm. they have some touching points and they can solve and they can customize the solutions, but they're still, they don't have to engage in the different cultures. And uh, the startups learn a little bit about the procedures of the corporations, which are good. Sometimes are more organized and they, they know or they're more focused. And the corporation learns a little bit about the culture of the startups, of the openness, of the of the pivoting and things like that. But when the startup, the corporation kinds of buys the startup in or invests, it's very difficult. So now they realize about that and they usually put some people working together in this, like, in, I don't know, a cultural fit. And also, we've seen like the people from innovation that before they have like these roles that they were kind of scouting. Now they're also, they have some role as being like kind of a, a missionaries or evangelists within the yeah. corporation that they yeah. go to sales and they sell the startup or see how they can uh, put together the startup within the, the procedures of sales or they go to marketing and they they're looking like how to use like the, the knowledge of the people usually as the people of innovation because they're like are halfway in the in both countries <laughs> so they kind of help them to introduce themselves in the companies but still it's it's a challenge and i i see that it depends on the company but still they're they're dealing with with that problem yeah in my experience when i did an, an acceleration program in i think it was 2016 there was as well a big learning on the corporate side so not just that the startup is learning it was also like we learned you can't give them a 200 page contract and say hey this is the acceleration program and this is what you need to do and that's like the plan you have to do it's it's not going to work like nobody will sign this contract like you normally do for hundreds of millions or hundreds of thousands of euros for a startup work so it's like we learned to change procedures in the corporate as well on how can we do things smaller smarter just by engaging with startups over uh, for example a three or four month period do you have experiences It like that as well I do more from the startup world. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so 
even from investors or institutions that they, they wanted to invest or even sometimes they were even like help the the startups and and they they were not able to see how they can do it like how they can even uh, fit their compliance policies investors in in investing in a in a startup or or even mentoring a, a startup but i i see that there's a lot of learning and i see that now there's many of movements of talent within one world mm. and the other and that before for corporations a startup with this great crazy people or these i don't know um spoiled uh Um, kids that rich kids that they don't want to work and they want to play ping pong while they were saying they're working and now I think that that has changed and that kind of prejudice has changed and there's a lot of movement and even of spotting out the the, the capacities of of the people from startups and and the, and the other way around I see like colleagues 55 years old that never been in a startup that now they are being like CFOs of startups because now they're in, with maybe <laughs> middle crazy so they realize that why they didn't play more ping pong in their life and they're going to the startups like assuming more risk and being part of kind of a, of a strong organization so I think now we are mixing our worlds and that's amazing it's it's great to see I, I agree going towards leadership Before we started recording, you said there's 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 definitely a need for a new way of leadership. What is uh, a new way of leadership in your eyes? I've, you know, this I realized from the years is not something that I've always thought because I come from from a generation I'm between like the the millennials and I can I, I realize I'm a senior because I'm from 81 and <laughs> I was welcome in the club yeah so you're something in between no with yeah. with the previous generations so uh, I was I had a lot of prejudice when I was start working with millennials because everyone was saying no they they don't engage they are always traveling they don't care about the work they cannot like I don't know fulfill a report they don't like to be in <laughs> in the chair and things like that they don't perform and then I was working with with millennials and at that time I they were really young they were like 20 years old and and still not experienced but I realized there were so many things there and so much talent and a really great way of, of looking at life and they were there they are much wiser than we were and like kind of balancing personal life and professional life and very purpose driven so I was like there's something that must be this and I started like studying a lot and trying to to erase my my prejudice and then I saw that the new way of of leading it's has to do with these new generations and, so, and also with realizing this world of purpose, that purpose must be above everything. So if you want to make people uh, fulfill their dreams and like extract their, their best talent and do the best with their capacities, you have to empower them. And I believe that this is kind of a, Of, I call it a female leadership, but that doesn't mean that it must be a woman who's leading. It means yeah. that like this uh, parenthood or motherhood capacities and human capacities, human skills that I was telling you before, that before we call it uh, soft skills, they are not soft, they are really tough to have the skills. Then the, the, they started calling them human skills. And then I was having a, an interview the other day and, and, and this lady told me, no, no, they're not, not soft, not human. They are core skills because are the most important skills that we have to have. So it's this kind of humanity and empathy that for me is the key skills that a manager must have. And like be this type of manager that enables the, the highest capacities of the people, that make them be themselves, that they are regarding what they want, what makes them happy, that also looks at their humanity as, as how they are and 
uh, what they want to be. It's not just how you're performing. Even we have like this way of doing meetings that the first thing we do is a checking, a personal checking. How are you? Because you're a human yeah. being. I'm a, yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm concerned because my father was sick or I didn't have a good sleep or I have a hangover because yesterday was my birthday. And, and that's true. So I, I have to regard and acknowledge that so I, I know and who I'm talking with. And this is not the same Marta as yesterday and it won't be the same Marta as tomorrow. So just by acknowledging them and acknowledging that you are human, that you are not perfect, that you don't have the same days, that are days that you are better or days that you are more concentrated, that makes people like be empowered and, and know that where they are and even be more, more motivated. So that for me, it's like key for, for being a, a good leader and even the empathy of, for, for people and, and being there for, for the people. It's not being a father. It's more like, I, I believe like in that parenthood that it's like, okay, I'm here if you need me, but you can walk alone. So yeah. in case yeah. I, you need anything, I'm here. But it's not like I don't have to say with you what to do. I don't have to uh, tell you something that you did wrong. You you are old and you're responsible and you know what you're doing. And I do trust you. I do believe in your capabilities. So I'm just here to support you. So I do believe that's the, the, the best way of empowering talent and making people like get the best of themselves. Yeah. And as we said before, I did a research in, in that direction. And it's it's truly that you see that as well in the profitability of the organization. If you have leaders like this, which are truly going into that direction and really kind of changing the company culture while doing this, because for me, it's like automatically you will be more innovative if you have people who are thinking for themselves and not just the manager who is deciding everything. I, I the, think... the tricky, yeah, go. No, no, I completely agree. I would say the same. So, so the the tricky thing is most probably when you have, and I don't know if you have experiences in that with the startups you have met or the corporations. When you are, when when you're in one system, like one organization works in one system, and then there comes a new manager in, and they want to change it to the like more, as you say, female leadership in an organization that has the culture of top down and I tell you what to do. Do you have any experiences with that? I've seen that those, but I've seen them both in startups and in corporations. Ah. People tend to think that in startups, everything is perfect, that managers are really <laughs> open-minded and it's not true. I've seen even young people being really yeah. young people and with the best trainings that there were this kind of, um, I don't know, old school um, bosses that are called, not mm. leaders, bosses. So it's, I think it has to do a lot with the people. I do believe that the change comes from the people. And I've seen very tough organizations and old school and very vertical organizations that have a great leader in some area and that has changed the whole um, performance of the area and sometimes it has scaled up. Usually mm. there's something that that is true that the top leaders are one are they use, usually are the ones who impose a lot of the culture and the rhythm. But even in horizontally, you can see that that ta different types of leaders and that happen in any kind of of sector, any kind of industry, and in startups and startups. So I do believe it's the person. It's the person that is there, the leader that is there that can really change the things. And that you see, as you were saying, you can see in the results of the company. You can, yeah. and that we have to kind of uh, tell everybody and even bring the business case of this type of leadership because I, I completely agree that the performance it's completely different in that type of organizations. Yeah, I, I I agree. We need to make that more public. The tricky thing might be if you have someone who has done this like thirty years to then change towards, hey, I'm the boss. To hey, no, I'm. I'm the female leader, even if we use that word. And now, like, I empower you to do this. So I'm not about my power. It's like, you you know better how to do it. I guess that's a tricky one to get, like, very senior people and executives to change their I, leadership style. 
but I think there's way of doing, you know, I have like the, the chance or I was lucky enough to work in very different organizations in very, in different countries. And like kind of, I'm, I'm always moving. Like I think <laughs> three or four years, I, I tend to grow or do different projects or even expand or change country or whatever. But, uh, and, and so I had many chance of like, implementing these ways of doing things in different organizations and there's for me there's some skills and some um, tools you can use for instance when i arrived to south summit uh, the team they 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 thought all the time they were like okay i have to go to the ceo with the problems or at that time when i started in, in spain startup i was coo so they all came with me with problems which is great that's that's my role but i always like went back to them okay great the problem which is your solution like what do you propose yeah, yeah. like it's great that you come i'm here to solve problems but what do you propose i want to hear first from you and they were like i don't know and they go back Think a little bit and bring whatever you think. It doesn't matter if it's crazy, if it sounds stupid. Like come back with me with with your proposed solution. Sometimes I would say no, I don't see it. But most of the times I would say, okay, go ahead, let's try it. Yeah. Even yeah. if if I knew that they might be mistaken, it's like okay, let's try it. So th that's a, like a small example. But there are many other things that you can use like to implement this way of doing things. And that little by little starts changing the, the culture of the organization and like that feeling of empowerment of, of everybody in the organization. Yeah. So important. <laughs> I could talk five hours more on that topic, but I would like to get us towards the end of the, the podcast and um, asking you a couple of questions I ask every guest. Okay. First question is, if you can work with a project, um, leading it or just being part of it, that is impacting every human being on earth, what project would you choose to work with and why? Well, um, for sure, I will work uh, for a social purpose. Like, you know, it's people that are very connected with the climate and the environment. For me, maybe because of my of my track record, I've been in developing countries and even in humanitarian projects. So I've seen like the worst situations, human situations in that you can imagine. So I think I will be engaged in, in providing access to good education to the people like more vulnerable. That for me will be like a life changer, like to enable everybody to have the same access to education, because I think that's a deal breaker. That's something that can change the lives of everybody. Nice one. Where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer <laughs> that from a personal and or business perspective. Um I have to scale the impact of what I'm doing. So I'm very, I'm looking a lot, uh, even coming recently, like it was a year and a half ago that I came back from, from Latin America. So I believe I have to work as a bridge in for developing countries and Europe. There's still many things that we are not looking at each other. And I do believe that impact investment is a very, very, very good tool that now uh, big venture capitals and big investment funds realize that they cannot just invest money in making money. They have to invest money in making money and making an impact. And that must be something unnegotiable. So I think that's scaling a lot. And I would like to be part of that too. How do you keep yourself up to date and informed on topics that interest you? Um, I don't think I'm updated. <laughs> I think I missed a lot <laughs> of information, by the way. Uh, I try, I, I really liked networking. I do think that that's very important. It's not just by learning. It's also connecting with people and even like building relationships, not just being a cocktail and talking a, a little bit superficially, but meeting new people and enabling and having strong relationships and be engaged in their projects as with you Jen said we we met like cautiously and it's like okay what is your next project like I mean <laughs> under me and that's that's a great amazing part of the network so I try to go to as many networking talks uh, 
events and that I do a lot and I do read a lot and uh, I try to read because I like like being the depth of reading a book or yeah. reading an article that that you don't always get while like no listening a podcast or even like uh, watching a video I try to also read books but that's not being updated I think it's maybe receiving information but that's not updated maybe it is in innovation, you, you get a lot of information, like, you know, all these metaverse, NFTs, Web 3.0, like in my other life, I never have learned about it. I would be like, yeah, that's true. Ask me. So no. <laughs> in my daily life, I'm with the startups too. <laughs> cool. How can people reach out to you and connect to you? Any... Um, they can connect me however they want. Like they can go through LinkedIn. Like I, I always reply to everybody unless it's like, you know, I'm a software developer in India that I get like 2,000 of those. It's like yeah. I don't have time to reply because I'm not looking for that services. But if I was looking, I would reply. But anybody who wants to network, uh, meet me, talk with me, I'm, I'm always open. And even I have my phone number and my email, like it's open for everybody. My personal mm -hmm. number, I put it, it's it's like when I answer the reply an email, you might, you will find there, that's my personal phone number. I try to be open to everybody and I always try to help everybody. Even like, yeah. I don't know, remotely, like, I don't know, a student that is thinking of maybe uh, taking a career in development, I always try to make time to to reply and to even have a meeting with everybody because I think that's uh, the power of people. And I always was very lucky to get to know great people. And I want to share all my, my contacts or all my resources with everybody. Nice. Marta was well, a pleasure having you on the podcast. And I, I I'm looking forward when we meet in person and do something fun together. Thank you very um, much for your time. I cannot be more happy of meeting you, Jens. And uh, I do believe that you are a purpose-driven person and that you are an entrepreneur and whatever like you dream, you make it true. So I'm really glad that uh, life put us in the same path. So just count on me in whatever you do. And I I'm more than honored to be part of the podcast and any project that you might have in mind as, <laughs> as it sounds. Oh, that's cool. There, there, there are a lot of projects, believe me, but let's figure that out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.